This is More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is made up of more than your job title. Each week, I'll talk to a guest about how they discovered that for themselves. You'll hear about what they did, what they're doing, and who they are. I'm your host, Rabia. I work in IT, perform stand-up comedy, write, volunteer, and, of course, podcast. Thank you for listening. Here we go. All right. Well, welcome back to More Than Work this week, everyone. So my guest is Ronnie Peronic. She is EVP and Global CFO of Worldwide Oilfield Machine. So thanks for being a guest, Ronnie. Thank you so much. I'm glad to have you here. So where am I chatting t- with you from today? From Houston, Texas. All right. Nice. Yeah, I used to live down in Dallas. I live in London, England now, but mm-hmm. was in Dallas for a while. So are you guys getting the warmer weather yet? I haven't even looked. My mom always updates We're me trying. on the weather. Yeah. yeah, right. No, no, no. We're, we're trying. We're trying, basically. So sometimes it's colder than we think, and then all of a sudden it's hot. So you know, welcome to Houston in spring. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, and everywhere now it's like that. So so first of all, I mean, I just, your title is impressive, I'll say, for sure. You don't get to talk to many C-level executives that are women, honestly. So what brought you into to oil? Well, thank you for the question. So oil and gas, it's definitely an industry that my company serves. And so here's the the history of the company. It was started in 1980 by my father. My father, who's a metallurgist, so basically he's a material scientist. And with that, just being able to come up with certain processes that were applicable for the oil and gas industry, because a lot of people don't realize how sophisticated this industry is. So just as we talk about the sophistication and technologies for space, equally, really the sophistication we see in oil and gas as well. So highly technological industry. We started this, like I mentioned, 43 years ago. I grew up in the business. So I grew up more on the back office side of things where accounting, admin, HR, even in terms of shop support, which was, you know, driving the forklifts, labeling inventory, yeah. stuff like that. So I knew all the shop guys. So did that for when I was much younger, for about 17 years as a sort of an intern. Later on, I went to India and I was married there in India. So the next 17 years of my life, I started my own company there, which was for dance, dance for leadership and expression and team building for corporates very successful over there in India. Then I returned back to Houston in 2007, where I rejoined WOM. So for me, rejoining WOM was actually a different animal altogether. So what started off as a mom and pop shop that I was very used to or understood, mm-hmm. you, can, you can imagine 17 years being away from it, it had grown exponentially. And when I came into it, it was not just about oil and gas industry. It was about people. So I'm a people person, whether it's a, you know, mm-hmm. a dance company, leadership company, coaching, whatever. So like, as I mentioned, we happen to serve oil and gas, but I know the technology enough. So I'm not an engineer by profession, but I probably can speak the language only because I've lived around it for, such, for so many years. What I say is this. I have been with Juan for 17 years, and the question that I do get is, you know, what excites you about oil and gas, like what Mm -hmm. you have asked me? I say we're providing energy. Energy is one thing that the entire planet needs, the entire planet needs, whether it comes from oil or gas or, you know, solar alternatives, whatever. So we belong to the energy industry. So for me, that is critical. If we can change the way someone's life is living for the better to make it easier to more to be more efficient effective 
then if I can be part of that industry, I'll stay here. Yeah, that's cool. And that's a, it's a different way of, of looking at it and thinking about it. Cause I mean, of course, oil and gas has a reputation that's a certain way, depending on where, what part of the, even the U S you live in. Right. And then, that's, yeah. yeah. And that's a big thing. And then also, but it is necessary for us to get places. And then the prices are always a thing. Right. And yeah. And so I like the way you're looking at it as kind of a means to help people in their lives because it really is. I mean, we don't get anywhere without some kind of energy, right? Absolutely. And I think people that are in this industry, we have a very keen sense of protecting the environment. And I know it's not talked about a lot, Mm -hmm. but really our industry is so heavily regulated. You know, how we process goods, how we dispose of goods, what production happens in the fields, what's tolerable, what's not. We have very, very, very small tolerances, you know, in terms of risk to people, risk mm-hmm. to the planet. So, again, it's not talked about a lot. Most of the disasters and, and catastrophes <laughs> are, which, of course, you know, it's. I say this and I don't say this, you know, lightly. Every industry definitely has their own risks, has their own potential to harm the planet, whether you're traveling for vacation to to Tahiti Mm -hmm. or, you know, or just opening your fridge every morning or even just raising cattle for beef. We don't realize just the emissions that come from animals also. So just a number of of things, of course, that are related to different industries. And our industry definitely is very, it's mature for sure. And also we are aware of WM, I know for a fact, we take pride in the way we process that we manufacture to make sure that we're doing it in a very responsible way. Yeah, that's great. And well, even if you look at, I got shamed for using almond milk recently, you know, and I, was, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm living in England. The water issue is not the same here, but if it came from California, yeah, that's not good. Yeah. But I think too, I learned it. I was learning more about sustainability recently, but really <clears throat> to understand it, in a different way, because I think it's a word that's just been thrown around. I mean, the most sustainable part about sustainability is the word, right? You know, (laughs) right. (laughs) And so it was, it was interesting to hear about how companies, it's really partly for companies to be sustainable and to continue, but also for them to have a world that they can continue in. Right. And so then you have to be responsible at some point for the environment because if you're not, there's not going to be a place. I mean, there won't be roads for people to drive cars on anyway, no, right? That's true. And, and sustainability is not just about the environment. I think we need to broaden that definition. Sustainability is about, you know, how do you manage your talent? How do you allow people within your company to grow and to mm-hmm. succeed? How do you create a very financially stable platform in your company that will see the uncertainties, that can actually take the brunt of the cyclic nature of oil and gas, you know, how do you create those kind of stable foundations in any company? That's mm-hmm. sustainability. You yeah. know, it's not just recycling water. It goes way beyond that. Yeah, it does. And then it's just, and then there are all the economic impacts and for people around the world, other than just the planet. So it's been, it's been opening to learn more about, and I encourage anyone who's interested to to look that up, you know, cause we're not going to keep on it, but <laughs> I hope, I hope so. And, and again, another philosophy that I run by and why I run the company by, like it's part, it's part of the WOM culture, the WOM fabric is the earn to return cycle. So we earn, definitely we have salary, we're, you know, making profits, mm-hmm. all of that, we're growing businesses, but what's the purpose? Like really what's the purpose? So we have a goal in the next five to seven years 
Right now, we're about $250 million company. In the next five to seven years, we do intend on becoming a $1 billion company. But it's not about the revenue. It's really not about the revenue. It's about $1 billion company, yes, but to positively impact 1 billion lives. Mm. It's that earn to return. We Mm. earn, we make the business grow and prosper so that we can give back. And that's the essential philosophy. So we talk about sustainability, like I mentioned to you. If we know the purpose of why we're doing what we're doing is for a greater cause, then it helps me to build those stable structures and foundations, not just for a quarter earning, but really to see that longevity come through. Because if I'm building something and building a company that can last, and by the way, I have like a 200-year plan, just so you know. It sounds <laughs> it sounds way out there, but it's really not. It's really not. So, I mean, we're looking at 42 years between just, you know, my dad and my yeah. boss and me. I'm looking at another 150 years. That's not a lot. I'm talking about three more generations. Yeah, It's really not a lot. But if I can understand that concept, then I'm definitely going to look and make decisions, make choices that are for the long term, mm-hmm. that's sustainable. Yeah. Not for a quick fix, not for a quick dollar in my pocket. That's not the purpose. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, it is crazy to think that 150 years is not even that long at this yeah. point, right? You know, <laughs> well, especially in the US, it's not even that old, right? So right, that's one that thing. Old. I mean, you lived in India for years. I'm in England. I went to Athens and saw some buildings that were so old and I just started laughing, you know, because we go, oh, check out this old house. It's 100 years old <laughs> in the right. States, you know? Right. So thinking about, too, I just, I'm, interested i guess maybe just because me living abroad and did you grow up and were you born and raised in the states though or did you live in india before you moved back there for getting married so my parents were both here in the united states before i was married so they're the first gen migrants to the u.s me being the first born my mother wanted to have me in the comfort of her home with her mother so she went to india So I was born in India, but when I was just a six-week baby, literally I was brought home to Houston, Texas. Oh, wow. So I was raised completely in Houston until high school. I graduated from high school in Houston, and I have a passion for singing. And I really just wanted to learn how to sing from a you know the the right guru in India, which led me to go back to India at the age of uh, like 17 and a half, almost 18. Yeah. And then I had an arranged marriage and my life changed and, you know, then I lived there for another 17. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I was watching, I mean, this is so ridiculous, I'm sure to tell you, but I was watching Indian matchmaking, you know, and all the other, (laughs) I've been watching, I've watched so many ridiculous shows now because of the pandemic. Otherwise I would never would have watched these things, but I really loved seeing, you know, some of the conversations that happened and the work that went in and, and it is interesting to me and, and especially people who grew up kind of culturally in the U.S., but then also having a tie to their their family. I'm first generation born on my dad's side, but I didn't have mm-hmm. his culture growing up. So it's a bit different, but mm-hmm. I definitely, I don't know. I think it's really cool that you're, you and your family have been able to maintain a tie to home because I think that's so important and it, it's so easily taken, I think. Right. You know. yeah, and, and that's true. It's And I'll also say that it's not always easy moving from one culture to the other. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I totally give, you know, my mom kudos to. She always kept us with a very adaptable mindset. She's, you know, it's like, if you have nothing, make something from it. If you've got everything, value it, but still keep humble, stay simple. 
So some of those principles really have, have helped me throughout my life. So India, US, doesn't matter. I say that I'm a global person. People are like, well, so where do you live now? Because I travel so much. Yeah. Goodness, I travel so much. I'm hardly in one place for more than three weeks, maybe a month. Wow. And then I'm back on a plane again. So it's just being able to be adaptable and open-minded. Mm-hmm. So we have a school in India. And of course, the business is Houston-based, but also India-based, Singapore, Dubai, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But if, what fascinates me is no matter where I go on the planet, the human being is the human being all over. Yeah. yeah, we have cultural nuances of what we don't like and like and what we accept and don't accept. But my goodness, our emotions and the way we see things and the way we react, the feelings, constant throughout yeah. the world. Yeah, no, and I, I get that. And I think, yeah, <clears throat> traveling tells you that more than anything. So that's really cool. So as far as your passions around what I would call the arts, I mean, singing and yeah. dance. So you, you moved to India to learn singing and then how did you get into the dance? And then it ultimately, I'll just let you kind of talk for a little bit, but ultimately, you know, found a <laughs> business around it too. Right, right. So singing definitely is my first love still to this day. I'm an Indian classical vocalist. I don't perform anymore, but I used to in my younger days. <laughs> then after I got married and that happened just, it's in the book, just, you know, life kind of happens and you're, I was yeah. married. At that point, it's really hard to manage a joint family and joint families are very common in India. You know, that I was part of one. Manage a joint family, the social commitments, sing. I was also going to college at the same time because I needed to finish up my bachelor's and in, in business administration, did all that. So kind of started to lose a little bit of the touch for singing because I used to sing like four to six hours a day. Then oh, wow. I had my first daughter in 1993. And after that, with a baby on your hips, definitely the singing had to take a back burner. As she went to went to school, and in India, every child goes to school at three. It's just you just put your kids into that. She went to an all girls school at that time, and at that point, I did not have a very good experience with security, with police guys. Actually, there's it's part of my story too. I I was basically not treated well. I was molested by a security official, and mm. which led me and my mom basically to say that if you're married, you're safe. So there, that's really why I got married. Oh, wow. I was married. Yeah. So when my daughter then goes to this all-girls school, and you know, school's great, and then there are these security guards all over, and that rung a panic alarm in my heart. I was like, oh, my God, what if... What if she's not protected? You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I found a way to get into school. Again, the creative mind says like, okay. So I went to the principal and said, okay, can I help? I just want to be around the school. Tell me what you want. She looked me up and down going, you're from the, you're from America. You're clearly not from here. Okay. Because <laughs> of course my English is still a very United States English and not by any means Indian English. And she looks me up and down and says, well, what can you do? I said, I can sing, dance, teach English. You tell me I will do it. Oh, but we can't pay you. Not a problem. Don't pay me. So she's like, well, can you teach dance? I said, yep, I can teach dance. So crazy thing is I had a really cool dance background. So I'm a gymnast. I did a lot of just ballet, modern dance in the United States. I did a lot of Indian folk dance and Indian classical. So Mm. I was a pretty active kid. Yeah. But all of that I was able to bring to fruition. So taught dance. And when I was teaching dance, I realized one thing is these girls that were coming to me to learn dance, they were very quiet. You'd expect like this bubbly, loud, rambunctious almost, you know, girls mm-hmm. coming in at age 9 to 14. Dance class, we can put some music on and just go go, go crazy. All these girls were quiet. I was like, hey, <laughs> girls, how are you? Sing song voice. 
We are fine, teacher. Clearly not fine over here. You've been told what to say, how to say it. Okay.、Yeah. So I started using dance as a tool to just say, "Hey, what do you feel like doing today? What's going on? What, what do you feel? Do you not feel like dancing? That's fine. We can sit. We can stand. We can just breathe. We can whatever." That led me to understanding. I knew the power of dance, but I really didn't understand the depth and the spectrum of it. But after that assignment in the all-girls school, I realized each class the girls became more free, more expressive, more happy. And after that whole performance was done, their parents came to me and said, "Were you the dance teacher?" I said, "Yeah." They said, "I've never seen my daughter so happy. What did you do?" I said, "Hmm. I let them be who they are." Yeah. So that led me to start my own dance company. It's not a dance company; it's really a leadership company. And that was my first business that I started when I was 24 years old, and my daughter was four years old. That just exploded. I had no idea that was going to explode. I thought I was just going to teach dance and call、mm-hmm. it a day. But no, it was the type of facilitation and the empowerment that these people felt, whether they were young kids, boys. I was even teaching juvenile delinquents because the government realized what I was bringing to people, to organizations, and they were like. Can you help our boys? I said, absolutely, I can. All the way to corporates. There's a company called Infosys in in Pune.、Oh, yeah. yeah, and a lot of other you know software companies that were being created at that time in the late 1990s, early 2000s, where I started becoming involved with their team building, with their communication, with their you know thought processes. And it just became cultural exchange programs. We had programs with the Netherlands, Greece, Spain. It was crazy. The message that I gave to everybody was: be who you are, be authentic, be who you are. You're not going to have all the strengths of the world, but recognize your strengths, your weaknesses. Focus on your strengths and keep moving forward with a positive mindset. Be respectful, be kind. It was hard for me to apply the same thing to my life,、mm-hmm. and when I finally did, is when I had to separate from that part of my life. Yeah, and move to the United States. And I thought I was going to be able to make it in India, but just things were not definitely、yeah. not encouraging. Actually, they were quite harmful to,、uh, to be realistic. And it's all in that book. And I I don't really yeah, yeah. play that violin and talk about too much of the drama. But people will get the the idea of what、yeah. you know I had to go through, or what women some of them have to go through. When I returned back in two thousand seven, I came with nothing. I came with a one way ticket from India to Houston. I had two hundred dollars in my pocket, and I could not even bring my daughters with me. I couldn't. I had no visa. Well, I had a I had a visitor's visa, but I had no、right. work permit. So just starting from scratch and trying to figure out what my life is going to be, yada yada. So what do I do? I I'm a, I'm a doer. I've got to do things. I cannot sit doing nothing. So at that time in Houston, I asked my dad. Well, I know Wam. I've been、yeah. there before. It feels like home for me. I don't have a work permit yet. I'll just volunteer, just help out however I can. And he says, "Okay, fine." I'm like, "Is there anything that you'd like me to do?" And his words to me were, "Ronnie, go figure it out. <laughs> go figure it out." That those were his words thanks, to me. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Dad. But but on one hand, thanks, Dad. On the other hand, well, thank you for giving、yeah. me an open, clear slate. He's like, "Just go do what you want to do. Go be happy." So I started off creating an HR department. We were about 200 people there in Houston at the time. We were more like a hire and fire department, not really an HR department. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again, I'm a people person. That's what I did for 16 years, even in India, and even before that. So I started creating all of those things, and here was the power. 
of HR, of being with people. I was focused on the business. How can I really help, you know, dad and people just my, my whole philosophy is how can I help? Yeah. Really? That's, that's really how I, I run my life. When I started talking to people and, and understanding what are the gaps, what are the pain points, I started to shoulder them, trying to find solutions with them. Not as the boss's daughter, didn't come in with entitlement going, oh, you've got to respect me, I'm somebody great. No, I'm here as you are. Let's see if we can solve this together. So organically, it sort of came from one to the next and people started to come to me with their problems. We used to solve them together. And then one thing sort of led to the next. And as soon as my personal life settled down in 2012, I was like, all right, I need to, I need to know what I don't know. Yeah. I was 40. I was 40 years <laughs> old at the time. And I had a dream to go to Rice University, even as a kid, before I left Houston. So I said, hmm, maybe I can rekindle that dream again. And of course, everyone is like, you're 40. What are you doing? Why do you want to get an MBA? You know, you are the daughter of this business tycoon guy. Yeah. You could paint your toenails the whole day long and say, yeah, but that's not my purpose in life. Yeah. I don't wake up in the morning to paint my nails or to go shopping. It doesn't mean anything to me. So I went to Rice. Thankfully, I got accepted. And in two years, started traveling the world, getting to know really the business, the people. And one thing led to the next. And then I became global CFO in 2016. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. It's, it's been a journey. Not an easy one, I'll, I'll tell you that. People think that if you're part of the family that you have it easy, it's harder. It's actually harder because you're here trying to prove that you're here standing on your own merit and people want to see you through the light mm -hmm. of, well, you really don't have to do much. So it's a bit, it's a little tricky and then they expect you to do even perform even more. Yeah, no, I can see that. And I mean, even, I don't know if you watch Succession, but that's been a... Oh, yeah. Did you, are you caught up? I'm not going to say anything on here. <laughs> I haven't caught up yet. No, okay. no, 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 no. I'm not caught up yet. But I mean, well, that's just a whole other thing. But it's really, it is interesting because you're coming in with people <clears throat> having preconceived notions of you anyway, is what's, yeah. you know, the case. It seems like throughout all of it, then from founding your dance company, and then all the way through to now, though, I mean, people have been at the center of mm -hmm. it, right? And do you feel right. that you got that from just your parents? I mean, you mentioned your mom and kind of things <clears throat> she's told you. Do you think that's just something that naturally came to you? If you think about yourself as a kid, were you people focused then too? Or how did that all come <laughs> about for you, I guess, you know? Oh, gosh. As a child, I was raised very conservative, mm -hmm. very, I'm going to call quote-unquote, orthodox Indian, sure. Hindu, which means, means that even in Houston, Texas, I went to school wearing a dot on my forehead, mm -hmm. you know, very religious, never wore jeans because, you know, cowboys wore jeans and we weren't supposed to. I was not allowed to listen to the radio, so I had no idea what my, you know, my, my peers were saying yeah. or talking about. Could not watch television except for like Little House on the Prairie or the Waltons, you know. So <laughs> I think that that worked to my advantage where I did not have any friends. Mm. I was a misfit. I was a complete misfit. So I was very quiet in school. I was in the back seat. But people would come to me if they wanted help with math, if they wanted something written, you know. I mean, yeah. my, the brain definitely functioned well. But everything else in terms of social skills, no one really wanted to have me part of their sort of group. But I think that empowered me to listen. I listened and observed quite a bit as a child. And uh, I started to create a lot 
of stories and songs and lyrics in my head. I've been a very creative person mm -hmm. as a child. So when I see myself through the years, one of my first, I would say, discoveries that you could say I'm a people person was when I went to India in the ninth grade. So here I am in Houston. My mom's teaching me all about all these religious festivals and you got to do this and pray this way and the scriptures that and all this. And I'm like, mom, hold on. I'm in the eighth grade. And could you please send me to India for just one year so I understand the culture mm -hmm. instead of you just telling me what to do because you said so? Yeah. She was like, really? You want to go to India? I said, yeah, just send me there. Because her brother was there. I had an uncle there. I'm like, just I'll stay with them or I can go to the boarding school for whatever. I don't care. Send me. So when I went there, I had a choice between either a Catholic school or a service leadership school. Girl, I had no idea what service leadership even meant. <laughs> no idea. But what I did know is I did not want to go to yet another American school in India. So like, take me there. When I went there, there were a lot of programs where we had to interact with villagers mm -hmm. for a cause and a purpose. I saw myself drawn to the people. It didn't matter what caste they came from because that was a big deal in India. Even at that yeah. time, you know, what caste do you come from? Can I touch you? Can I not? Can I hug you? Can I not? Can I even talk to you? Yeah. So for me, I crossed all those boundaries and borders. So people in that school saw the leadership qualities in me, saw that I am a people person. And when I started getting appreciated for those things is when I said, oh, I think I do like people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really do. And it's not because of the appreciation, but what I loved are the smiles that I saw on people's faces when I interact with them, interacted with them. Yeah. So that's kind of the discovery of, of where, and of course, my dad has always been a people person, a very quiet person. He's always taught me one thing is give every person respect and dignity. Right. Everyone has a backstory. Everyone has a backstory. So it doesn't matter how they treat you. You yeah. give them the dignity that they deserve. So I've been raised with that. And then on the other hand is my mom, who's always been service, service, and service. Her whole life mm. is service. So she's all about just give back. So going back to the philosophy of what we believe, and I literally run not just WOM, but our schools, the foundation, the stuff that I do even on the side, it, it is that earn to return. So it's about people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I, uh, so much is resonating with me. I mean, we've had very different upbringings and I mean, in general, but I think it's it's interesting to hear how it manifests this this idea of service. Not everyone's that way and not everyone has that yeah. that bent. And so I've been doing a lot of thinking about that for myself. It was nice to hear how you how you came to it. You mentioned your book and I think it'd be a good time just to chat about that for a bit. Your book is Seven Letters to My Daughters. And mm -hmm. basically, do you want to tell people what that is and what to expect if they go pick it up? Because I have a feeling someone's going to hear you and be like, I want to hear more what this woman has to say. <laughs> oh, thank you. So seven letters has a meaning. There's a popular science that says our cells are regenerated every seven years. So... I kind of had that concept in the back of my mind. I don't dig too deep into the science, mm -hmm. but I like the concept. The book is actually divided in seven-year chunks of my life. So here's the, here's the beginning of the story. I'm about 47, 48 years old and in Houston, Texas with my two daughters because, of course, eventually they do make it to Houston mm -hmm. and we're living together. We're like, Ma, we've really come a long way and 
we're so happy, you know, I said, you know, you're really right. We have come a long way. And then it's like in passing, they're like, I and mean, then you should write a book. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess I should write a book. So that's where the whole thing started is I wanted to gift them something that was meaningful mm-hmm. and had some lessons that maybe, you know, they wouldn't have to learn the hard way if they read about it, if they understood it and they saw glimpses of it in their life that they would recognize it. And not have to go through the whole pain cycle of learning that lesson. So I said, yeah. okay, let me gift you some of the lessons that I've learned over the years. So when I sat down, I have a finance brain. So I'm a spreadsheet person. By the way, I wrote this book in a spreadsheet. Amazing. I kid you not. I love it. So <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I have those notes too. I can send you a screenshot. It's ridiculous. So when I look back at my life and going, how am I going to organize my life? And then I have this whole seven-year concept in the back of my brain go, swirling around. I look back and I said, oh my goodness, this concept is so applicable to my real life. So the first seven years of my life, I was a single child. I thought I was a daughter, but actually I was a girl. I was a girl. And I say this because Indian context, firstborn, you're supposed to be a son. You end up mm. being a girl, which means you're kind of labeled by excuse me, you're not good enough. You're really not what we wanted you to be. And you live with that your entire life. So those seven years formed a lot of who I am. It kind of, what I say, it, it, it gave me the firewood that was going to be part of my fire pit and the fuel that I was going to run my life by. Mm-hmm. And the next seven years of my life is when I had two siblings. All of a sudden, I wasn't alone anymore. I was a sister. I was part of a team. And then what are those team dynamics? What does it feel like when somebody else comes into your creative space? How do leadership roles come about? Do I have authority? Not really. My parents do. But I have all the responsibility because I'm supposed to take care of my my siblings. And then it kind of goes on. The next seven years is me being a lady. A lot of women can resonate to this. Being a lady means you're not quite a little girl and you're not quite a full-grown woman. Mm -hmm. You're kind of like in between. Everything's changing. Your body, your emotions, uh, your your aspirations, everything is changing. So that seven years of my life is when I was married. So the next seven years is I should have talked about me being a wife, even though I was married, but I talk about me being a mother Mm. because I had my first daughter at 21 and my second daughter at 28. So you see the math? It all kind of works out. So at the end, my last cycle, which is 42 to 49, and again, mm, the thread in the book is definitely based on my gender because that played a big part of my life, but also my spirituality, my spiritual understanding and my growth. And eventually where I landed up was a daughter. 42 to 49 is me being a daughter and the lessons of love, of leadership, of legacy all come through that. So seven letters to my daughters basically means that. So I have one letter for every seven-year cycle, and that letter is from me to all the daughters and sons of the world because it's not a feminine book. It's not a book based on womanhood. It's about the human experience. Pain Mm -hmm. is pain. Joy is joy. The way we react, the way we figure a way to move forward is all human. It has nothing to do with race, background, ethnicity, none of it. So it's a very human-based book. So therefore, the letters are, yes, inspired by my daughters, but to all sons and daughters of the world. Nice. And so there you have it. That's the book. Yeah, that's super. And had you ever thought about writing a book before? Not so much. I write a lot of poetry. So I thought, well, maybe, you know, I'll compile my book of poems and maybe sing to it or something like that. Maybe 
choreograph a whole Broadway musical for that. But I didn't think I would write a book. No. Yeah. And the funny part, here's here's the funny part. So I'm a finance and finance girl or I'm a creative person, right? So girl, I'm a bullet point person. <laughs> I'm like, tell me what you want, I'll give you the points and let's move forward. Okay, so that is not helpful in a creative flow process, right? The other part of me is a poet. I'm an abstract thinker. Yeah. I'll say blue. And that blue can mean a thousand different words, right? And that's not helpful when you're trying to actually sit down and write a story either. So let me tell you, writing a book was challenging. Yeah. That's why I had to do it in a spreadsheet form. <laughs> that's amazing. I love it. No, that's really <laughs> that's really great. I just think <laughs> I always I like to if I can just pull, you know, kind of call out the thread during a conversation and I don't always do it. I usually do it at the start of the podcast, like when I pre record something later, but I mean I think what I want people to take, and I don't know if you feel the same way, is just that really where you're born or into what family or anything doesn't really have to like determine everything that you do because you've done quite a bit and you've been able to pursue the creative and be able to pursue the business and be able to to do that. And I think it's amazing because I think even I look at myself and I limited myself for many years just because of like not having belief in myself. Right. And then for you, you kind of were instilled with that in a different way, but as a kid might not have been because you could have been a, a kid mm-hmm. who was alone just on your own a lot and not done that so I just I don't know I that's what I want people to take away but I don't know what you like people to take away from your story but it's true that there is always a way yeah I've been blessed with a sunny disposition that's true you know my my, my kids are like mom's always like overly optimistic yeah but I'm also practical I run a business I can't be just in dreamland but having that mindset that there is always a way and there's a way that you can protect yourself, be authentic. And like I said, you can still be respectful to everybody else around you. No one is going to understand what you have in your mind. Understand that's the fundamental. No one's going to understand what emotion you're going through. If you're happy, sad, frustrated, no one's going to know. It's you. But that means we. it's up to us that there's always a way to show up kind. There's always a way to show up knowing that there's a next step forward. Mm-hmm. And be considerate. So that is the thread. That is the thread. So I always say we can all be successful. We can all be happy, even in limited resources. We don't need the world. Yeah. I wish I had talked to you before a call I had earlier because I did not show up properly. (laughs) Uh Oh, Uh -oh. that's okay. It's part of the journey. None of them will be listening anyway. It's fine. So, Ronnie, other than the advice I should have used that you kind of just gave in a way on my call, do you, <laughs> I always ask every guest, like, do you have any advice or mantra that you like to share that you just like to leave people with? My mantra, honestly, is there's always a way. But to add a little second tag to it is remember that there's always a way to be powerful, playful, and purposeful. Mm. Just keep that in mind. Nice. That's great. All right, cool. So now I'm going to get into the fun five. There are five questions I just ask every guest because I just want to know these things about people. So the first one, what is the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? It's such a ridiculous question, by the way, but I love it. And I really had to think about this thing. So I wear this t-shirt like out of nowhere and it's got this thumper print on it. So thumper from Bambi. And so once me and my, both of my daughters, I think we were in Mallorca, Spain, I think. We were on a sailing trip. 
And all of us somehow just needed shirts. Of course, we need shirts. And then we all get these Disney characters. And of course, both of my girls choose Thumper for me because that basically symbolizes my personality, yeah. right? So that's the oldest t-shirt that I wear. Nice. Yeah, I love it to this day. It's got a few holes in it too. Nice. Well, yeah, and it is a ridiculous question, but I, I'm a t-shirt person. <laughs> and I have this one t-shirt that's not even recognizable. Yeah, so... I've yeah, right. so it's ridiculous. All right, so the next one. This was I. This is how you know I started this podcast during the pandemic. But if every day was really Groundhog's Day, like mm. people were saying at the time, what song would you have your alarm clock set to play every morning? My heart song is a song by Natasha Bedingfield. I've got a pocket full of sunshine. Nice. That's my song. That's my song. Cool. <laughs> I can still bounce to it. Nice. All right. <laughs> Cool. All right. Good. And then I'm curious about this one, actually, because I don't know with you. So coffee or tea or neither? <laughs> I'm a tea girl. So okay. I'll have tea, but I'll have tea in the morning with protein powder. So exciting. I know. <laughs> I used to be a coffee girl in between. But again, just, you know, women at a certain age and phase of life, you know, being aware of what's good for you. I'm a tea drinker now. Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. And can you think of something that just makes you kind of laugh when you think of it or the last time you laughed so hard you cried? Because I think just knowing what makes people laugh. Well, I, I do stand up comedy for one thing. But other than that, knowing what makes people laugh is really like I think a powerful thing to know about people. I love the question, too. There is one scene from the movie Pink Panther. <laughs> Steve Martin love him to pieces and so he's Jacques Rousseau right he's the inspector who speaks French with he speaks English with a French accent yeah and he's with his with this tutor and he's just discovered hamburgers girlfriend I know the hamburger scene no it the is the hamburger scene it's the best she has him it's the best she makes him say I want to buy a hamburger. I would like yeah. to. I would like to buy oh a hamburger, girl. And she goes by every single word. She's like, I e would would right, and it just goes on. And I cannot stop laughing to this day. I'm yeah. on the floor. Whoa, my goodness. Yeah, I know it's that incredible. One. I have I have searched that up on YouTube <laughs> so many times because just when he's like yelling at her. <laughs> It's like at the end, he's like, uh, I would like to buy a hamburger. <laughs> Not hamburger, hamburger. Well, that's what I said. Hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. It is so oh amazing. I love that. Like, I don't even remember the movie other than that. You know what I mean? Right? And then that scene. Oh, it's hilarious. They could have oh. just released that and played it for an hour and a half and it would have been fine. But awesome. <laughs> That's literally on my saved videos. I can watch that any day, anytime <laughs> if I want to have a really good day. <laughs> Amazing. All right, good. I love that. All right, the last one, which is, I mean, it might be funny too. I don't know. We'll see. But who inspires you right now? Who inspires me? That's a, that's a, like a loaded question. I'm mm -hmm. always inspired by so many people. Like seriously, yeah. even like little kids that are running in the park, they inspire me. Authors inspire me. People, my parents inspire me. My kids inspire me. That's a really, it's, it's hard mm -hmm. for me to just pin down a single person that inspires me, but I'm going to give you a little funny part, okay? This right. is me, and everyone who wants to get to know me will know this about me. There are two characters that inspire me. Like, really. It's a constant. Get ready. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. It's Winnie the Pooh. Okay. Yeah, it's Winnie the Pooh, all-time Zen master, and Tigger. 
So both of them inspire me because Pooh has like the innate ability to break down complex situations and issues and boil it down to the simplest meaning, mm-hmm. right? Just simplest meaning. One of my favorite quotes from Pooh is like, so he and Christopher Robin, they're walking around in the, in the forest or what, the hundred acre wood, which I love also. And he's like, Christopher Robin, what day is it? Christopher Robin's like, I don't know, Pooh, it's today. Mm-hmm. And then Pooh's like, well, that's my favorite day. That's my favorite kind of day. It's today. So then I've got this thing in my in my phone that pops up in every morning. It's today. Hmm. That's my inspiration. That what we have is today. It's not about yesterday or tomorrow. Yeah, we got purposes and we got paths to deal with. But what I have is today. So hmm. that's that. And then Tigger for me because he's bouncing around, not caring about anything else but being authentically him and just having that ray of sunshine and hope that everything will be fine. There's always a way. Huh. <laughs> nice. I like it. Yeah, and I do. I know that question's <laughs> tough, actually, and that's why I put right now because for me it changes over time, yeah. you know, too. It does. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Well, thank you for, for giving, me, giving me that answer. That was great. Ronnie, I know one thing – you have a website, and I, I took the quiz on your website, so I definitely want you to mention that. But, yeah, how do you want people to find you, basically? And if they want to follow you, is there a place to do that? Oh, absolutely. So, yes, please take the quiz. It's on RoniPuranic.com. I'll spell it out. R-A-N-I-P-U-R-A-N-I-K.com. And the quiz is actually for you to discover what phase of your life chapter are you in. Are you in love? Are you in leadership? Or are you in legacy? So it's kind of cool to just see, you know, where you are at your phase of life, phase in life. So that's one. And same thing, Ronnie Peronic on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. You'll see me YouTube also. I've got a number of talks nice. and, you know, stuff, cool things that are out there too. Super. Oh, and by the way, the seven letters to my daughters is also available on Amazon. If you want to pre-order it, it should be releasing May 24th. That's the official launch date. Oh, awesome. Awesome. That's great. All right, cool. Well, Ronnie, this has been an absolute joy to talk to you, and I'm really glad that we got connected. So thanks for being on More Than Work. Thank you so much. This was enjoyable. This was really enjoyable. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the guest and what was talked about in the show notes. Joe Mafia created the music you're listening to. You can find him on Spotify at Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. Rob Metke does all the design, for which I am so grateful. You can find him online by searching Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Please leave a review if you like the show and get in touch if you have feedback or guest ideas. The pod is on all the social channels at at More Than Work Pod or at Robbie Comedy on TikTok and the website is morethanworkpod.com. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.